Good morning, Orangewood. On what Winnie the Pooh would say is a blustery day. Isn't it great to find room at the feet of Jesus? I don't know what you brought here this morning, but my hope and prayer is is that we gather together in our great God's name that you will find uh, comfort, hope, peace, life reigning right there at the feet of Jesus. You know it's good news? There's room for you. And I'm awfully glad to be here with you this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles uh, to 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, chapter 8. We continue this little uh, series we're doing, God is My King. We uh, have been studying together the book of Ruth, this amazing little book of Ruth, these four chapters, uh, the story from brokenness to life. How many of you can relate to that? Uh, At least the brokenness side of it. A story of a, a widow and barrenness and famine and how, how God loves and how God reigns and how God heals and how God rescues and how God does his best work with those things like us that are broken and shows us his glory by bringing us life in the midst of our brokenness. What an amazing story. As we've gotten to know uh, characters like Naomi and, and characters uh, like Ruth, uh, real live lovers of our great God, and, and Boaz, uh, uh, a man of, of God's own heart, who's a kinsman redeemer, we've been reminded of God's love. But the cool thing about Ruth, there's, there's more than just this love story going on. There's, there's more that meets the eye in these four little chapters because the book of Ruth actually rescues one of the major themes of the Bible. One of the most important themes. I'm going to tell you, of all the themes in the Bible, this might be the most important. Because through this love affair, through this love affair of Ruth and Boaz, there's a family line that's been saved, that's been redeemed, that, that wasn't lost. And the family line that was rescued, and we could just really read over this kind of quickly, it was Elimelech. It doesn't mean a whole lot on the surface, does it? But you dig into the Hebrew and you realize that Limelech means God is my king. And the theme that was rescued is this reality that, that God is our king. But we saw last week, and we're going to see again today, that God's people, God's people struggle with the concept of having God as their king. Oftentimes we read these stories, especially in the Old Testament, it seems so over there, doesn't it? It seems so them. I mean, kings and situations that we don't necessarily wrestle with or can relate to. You know what I love about Scripture? I mean, Scripture says this of itself in Romans 15, that all the stories of the past, listen, all the stories of the past that God wrote for us today, that there's something here for us today. And this isn't just some ancient, let's look back in time kind of deal. But God's saying, I want you to see yourself as we look back. I want to meet you and I want to be with you and I want to remind you because, listen, God's people have always struggled with the concept that God should be our king. And I want you to know, so do you. And so do I. God is our king. You know, God's people back in Samuel, when we pick up the story, they didn't want God as their king. 
They wanted to choose their own king. They, they, they wanted to choose what, what felt right for them. I mean, they, they wanted a king of their own choosing. And, and not only that, but God's people. Listen, these are the people that God called out of darkness and slavery. I mean, these are the people that God set a particular unique love on. Although he loves all of the world that he created. I mean, God's people said this to him. They said, you know, we don't want you as king, God. We, we want to be, be like everybody else. Can you believe it? I mean, can you believe God's people saying, we want a king like the other nations. We want to choose our own king. We want to be like everybody else. But scripture warns us, and it's lovingly warns us, that anytime we choose a king outside of our great God, even if that king is yourself, even if you're just saying, I want to live my own life and do my own thing, I want to be king. Any king that we ever live for, and most of us, that's just ourselves, God's word says it always leads to slavery. It always leads to bondage. Let me tell you something. You're of amazing worth here this morning. I don't know what you bring, but you're of amazing worth because God made you in his image. God did more than just make you in his image. God made you to represent him and to reign and rule for him on this earth. Is that not amazing? But God also made you for something a lot greater. God made you to be in line and in submission with him as king. King. The question is, do we want him as king? Let's look at 1 Samuel 8, verses 4 through 22, and see what they thought about God as king. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons don't walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations, all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And now we're going to get a picture of any king that will reign over us, including ourselves, other than Jesus. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from, for, from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. Not only will he take your sons, he'll take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He'll take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and listen to this, and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of the king whom you have chosen for yourselves. 
but the Lord will not answer in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no. And listen to this. This is what we're going to unpack. But there shall be a king over us, that we must also be like other nations. And that king will do three things. And that king uh, may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the people of Israel, go every man to his city. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we, we beg you to come through the power of your spirit, through the words of this broken vessel. And God, come with such clarity and such power that, that we could hear your voice. That, Father, that we could understand what, what does it mean? What does it mean for us to, to have Jesus as king? And do we want it? Father, would you, would you come with such power that you tenderly just, just open up our hearts so that, so that we can see the truth, the truth of what's in there. What's really on the throne there? Is, is it ourselves? Is it something else? Is it Jesus? Father, would you come with, with such power and such authority that, that when we leave here, that we would love to have Jesus as king, that, that we would realize that there's where we find our identity, there's where we find our validation, there's where we find our hope, there's where we find our life. God, would you come in a way that there's not one person here that walks out confused of what it means to have God as king. We pray this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Last week, I preached to you the need uh, that God to be our king. Last week, I tried to show you that uh, uh, the end of the book of Ruth really isn't just the credits rolling in some names. It's an amazing rescue that, that God wants to be your king. And last week, I, I preached to you to say that, that we will find life in submission to God as king. And this week, man, I had them all stacked up. It was all ready to go. Uh, this week, I was going to come and preach to you and say, not only is God your king, live in submission, but God is your king, live on mission for Jesus is king. But I felt God leading me to be a little bit more upfront and candid with you. I, I think before we move on to talk about being on mission for Jesus is king, we have to deal with a problem. And the problem was this. The problem with having God as our king. Listen, did you hear what I just said? The problem with having God as our king. Do we really want it? I mean, do we really want God as king? And I believe that we must first rightly believe before we rightly act. And so uh, God, in the very, very busy week, in the midst of what I thought was all ready to go, he said, no, 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 we got to deal with something different. We got to deal with a problem. The problem with me as king. You know, we struggle, don't we, with God as king. Do you think that Americans struggle with authority at all? Do you think Americans have any, uh, any problem with authority? Are you kidding me? Of course we do. I mean, we're Americans. We're red, white, and blue. I mean, we don't do real well with authority. We like our own authority. We can't stand someone else telling us what to do. 
We're Americans. We tell others what to do. And you know, not only that, we don't live with much understanding of a king, do we? I mean, really, I mean, how many of us have any idea what this king language is all about? What in the world? It sounds like Shakespeare. I mean, you talk about king, it just sounds like some weird English that doesn't really make any sense, and the people who say it think that they're really smart. Well, at least I say that because I don't understand it, and you make me feel bad. But what is this deal about a king? You know, listen, our country, our country prides itself on the fact we don't have a king. Our country prides itself that we were founded with the desire to have no king. Let me prove it to you. Let me draw your attention to the screen. You will see on the screen the wonderful state of Virginia and their flag here for us. Let's see what Virginia says about a king. You see a king-like figure, obviously killed. The crown, obviously knocked off. Six Semper Terranus, which our good friend Doug Fleming, who's taught us all about Latin, will continue to remind us, to all, thus to all tyrants. Here's what it feels to be American. If you want to be our king, we're going to send our vicious women with swords after you. And they're angry. They're going to knock you down and kill you. And take your crown. Let's be honest, my brothers and sisters. Who wants a king that will enslave us? We don't want a king who will take away what we have been told and has been massaged into our very DNA that we have this inalienable right that is just ours because we live. We don't want a king who will take away our pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. We really don't want a king to mess with our stuff, well, especially the stuff we love. But what do we want? I mean, I want a king to empower me, man. I, I want a king that, that empowers me to live. And, and I want a king who sets me free. And, and I, I want a king who, who I can design as king. I mean, there's some cool things about that. But do I want a king to take away my pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness? I think this drives us to the question, is Jesus good enough to be our king? I don't think we can go any farther. I don't think we can have another message until we wrestle together. Is Jesus good enough to be our king? I'm about ready to show you a video. I'm going to show you a a movie clip. And it's the gospel according to Monty Python. You're going to see in this video clip two peasants making mud pies in filth. You're going to see that they have no concept of a king, a king that they supposedly have. No idea that a king could help them. Let's watch this clip. Oh, how do you do? How do you do, good lady? I'm Arthur, king of the Britons. Whose castle is that? King of the who? The Britons. Who are the Britons? Well, we all are. We are all Britons. And I am your king. I didn't know we had a king. I thought we were an autonomous collective. You're fooling yourself. We're living in a dictatorship. A self-perpetuating autocracy in which the working classes... Oh, there get... you go, bringing class into it again. That's what it's all about. If only people would... Please, realize... please, good people. I am in haste. Who lives in that castle? No one lives there. Then who is your lord? We don't have a lord. 
What? I told you, we're an anarcho-syndicalist commune. We take it in turns to act as a sort of executive officer for the week. Yes. But all the decisions of that officer have to be ratified at a special bi-weekly meeting. Yes, I see. By a simple majority in the case of purely internal affairs. Be quiet. But by a two-thirds majority in the case of more Be quiet. I order you to be quiet. Order? Who does he think he is? I'm your king. Well, I didn't vote for you. You don't vote for kings. Well, how'd you become king, then? The Lady of the Lake. Her arm clad in the purest shimmering Samite held aloft Excalibur from the bosom of the water, signifying by divine providence that I, Arthur, was to carry Excalibur. That is why I'm your king. Listen, strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some farcical aquatic ceremony. Be quiet! Oh, but you can't expect to wield supreme executive power just because some watery tart threw a sword at you. Shut up! Oh, but if I went round saying I was an emperor just because some moistened bint had lobbed a scimitar at me, they'd put me away. Shut up! Will you shut up? Ah, now we see the violence inherent in the system. Shut up! Oh, come and see the violence inherent in the system! Help! Help! I'm being repressed! Bloody peasant! Oh, what a giveaway! Did you hear that? Did you hear that, eh? That's what I'm on about. Do you see him repressing me? We certainly don't want a king that will at all repress us. And I couldn't help but think when they were having the dialogue there in the filth and the mud, and he was saying what kind of authority they had. I think there was a Presbyterian government was described in there. I wasn't quite sure, but... Uh, it's amazing. A king who the people didn't recognize. Who are we? We're Britons. A, a, a king that they didn't recognize and a king who gave them no identity. We want a king who will go before us. A king with no power. Did you hear, did you hear they answer the question? It was very interesting. How did you become king? And he says some crazy farcical story, right? That sometimes we even look at the Bible saying, well, what was that story all about? But here's what it says. He said, no, no, no. Supreme authority. Listen, supreme authority, it said, uh, it derives from a mandate from the masses. Did you hear that? Supreme authority derives from a mandate from the masses. You know what that's really saying? Authority comes from us. We got to be people who do what's right in their own eyes. I just can't get over the image. There they have two peasants playing in the filth, playing in the mud, who have no concept that a king can do anything for them, that a king can give them any identity, any power, any hope. And I just wonder, how much does that represent us? You see, the problem with Jesus as our king forces us to answer some key questions. And I encourage you to write these questions down. The problem with Jesus, our king, forces us to ask some key questions. And here they are. Firstly, do I want Jesus to be my identity? Do I want Jesus to be my identity? If so, he'll tell me who I am. Do I want Jesus to validate my life? Do I want Jesus to validate my life to tell me what I'm worth? Do I want Jesus as judge? Do I want Jesus to tell me how to live my life? Do I want Jesus as my warrior to tell me what is worth dying for? You see, those are the three questions that we got, or the four questions we got to wrestle with. That's, that's before us today. Is God good enough to be our king? 
Is Jesus good enough to be our king? And really, we look back to uh, chapter 8, verses 19 and 20 for the three key questions we must answer before we bow to Jesus as king. Yes, your pastor is saying that there are three key questions we must answer before we bow to Jesus as king. Verse 19b again says, the people say, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like the other nations, that our king may do these things. Our king may judge us. Our king may go out before us that represents us and fight our battles. I'm going to take them this way. Our king that goes before us, our king that judges us, and a king to fight our battles. The first question is this. Is Jesus good enough to be our king? Is he good enough to go before us? I mean, is Jesus good enough to provide for us what I really need? And what do we really need and look for in a king? To be my identity. You know what I want? I want a king in my own image. And that's beautiful about Jesus. I want a king who comes to earth from heaven and a king who takes on flesh and a king who relates to your brokenness and a king who relates to your, your humanness and a king who relates to you and, and who's in your own image. Isn't that good news? I can relate to that. I can relate to a king made in my own image. But it's a little bit more difficult for me to wrestle with being made in his image. I love a king who can identify with me. I love a king that can identify with my brokenness. But do I want to be identified by him? Do I want my identity to be as in Jesus as Christ and king in my life? Do I want to be identified as Christian? Oh, I do in here. It's easy. I like it. My paycheck keeps coming. It's easy to be identified as Jesus is my king. But what about out there? I mean, really... Do you want to be identified as having Christ as your king? I remember, I remember in, in high school, I remember being in the locker room and being left behind. And there was this one other guy there, there's two of us, the, the biggest guy on our team. And, and I remember being asked, and, and just the two of us in the loneliness of that locker room, he said, I, I heard that Jesus Christ is your king. He didn't say it that way. He says, I hear you're a Christian. And all of a sudden, my identity was being found in Christ as king. And I backpedaled. Because I love a king in my own identity. I love a king that relates to me. But do I want a king that is my identity? Do I want to be known as one who follows Christ as king? You see, we can't be like the other nations and we can't be like our neighbors if Christ is our king, right? I mean, if Christ is our king and we're living for him and living in submission to him, we're gonna be different. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And you know, I don't know about you, but for me, I love one step in this kingdom and one foot in this kingdom. And when I'm here with you, man, thy kingdom come. But when I'm there, Christ is king. How often do you want to be like the other nations, the other neighbors? Do we want Jesus as our identity? I kind of like to have a king that would bow to me. I kind of like the king that would bow to my image. But we have one that calls us to bow to him. Is, is Jesus good enough to be my validation? Is he good enough to be my validation? You know what I want as a king? I want a king who validates my work. 
I want a king who comes along, maybe clapping together coconuts or something. A king who comes along and he will look at my life and says, man, Jeff, you're good. And Jeff, your stuff is good. And Jeff, you do good. And Jeff, I'm validating your life and, and I'm validating your works and I'm validating your existence. I want a king that comes along and validates me and reminds me that, that I'm good. But you know what we get in Jesus? We get in Jesus. The problem with Jesus is he doesn't come along to validate our lives. He comes along, listen to this, to have our lives validated in his works. He comes along and says, I want you to be known by my good works that are perfect. I want you to be known by my wounds. I want you to be known by my sacrifice. I want you to be known by my resurrection. Listen, my life is to validate you. Is it good enough? Do you know how much I struggle with this? Do you know how much I struggle enough that, that Jesus is enough to validate my life? I'll tell you, if you open up my medicine cabinet, you'll three, see a three by five card that says, the love of Christ validates me. Get in my car and get through the mess and you'll find it in the council. Right there is a little three by five. The love of Christ and the work of Christ validates me. Is God enough to be your king? Is, is, is his life enough to validate you and your worth and your existence and your being? And that's what he's offering us. He's offering us to, to find in a God's eyes validation through his works, not mine. Is God good enough to be my provider? You know what I want? I want a king. I want a king who, who's a, kind of like a dispensing machine, a kind of like an ATM machine. I want a king that provides for my wants. And I got a lot of them. Man, am I materialistic. Man, am I worldly. Whew. But you know what? Jesus comes along and he says, here's, I'm a king and I'm not going to provide for your wants. I'm not going to bow to your wants. But here's what I'll provide for every single time. Your needs. I'll give you your daily bread. I will give you your daily, I promise I will never leave you. I promise I will never forsake you. I promise I'll never give you more than you handle. I promise to give you enough. But is it enough? How many of us really have ever sat and prayed begging God for daily bread? There might be some of you, but very, very few of you. No, my prayer request hardly ever hits daily bread. Got that covered. It's the wants. Is Jesus good enough to be my king, to really go before me, that he's my identity, that my identity is in Christ and Christ alone, that he's my validity, that I am valid, validated and for God in this, in this world because of what Christ has done for me? Is it enough that Jesus will be my provider, that I trust in him for all of my provision? Is it enough? Is Jesus, the second point, is Jesus strong enough to be our king? And that's to fight our battles. I mean, that's what they were asking for, to fight our battles. And I want a warrior who fights, ready for this? I want a warrior who fights my battles. Not some warrior is going to ask me to fight his. You know what I want of warrior Jesus and King Jesus? I want Jesus to be good enough to keep safe those who I love most. And, and, and I want him, I want to tell him what I mean by safe. I want to define safe. I want Jesus to be a warrior king to kill the things I hate. Here's what I picture. I picture Jesus as a cage warrior king that I have the key. I have the key to this cage warrior king. And, and I, I could let him out when I need to let him out. And I could keep him caged in when I need to cage him in. 
And, and when I have a real battle that I want him to fight, I can open up the door and say, Jesus, go stick him. Go kill him. I remember, I remember a faith crisis not too long ago. I was praying and I was praying for my kids. And I had this thought, can I really trust Jesus with my kids? I mean, can I really trust him? Can I trust him that he's not going to mess them up or he, he's not going to do something that I don't really want him to do? Can I trust him, you know? I mean, can I, can I rest in the fact that he's God Almighty? Can I rest in the fact that, that, that I place him in his hands? I'm going to trust Jesus his kid, with my kids and he's going to keep them safe? I mean, I tell you, I give anything. I give anything. I got this faith crisis. I'm thinking, he's not promising me that. And I don't like it. And I got to wrestle with it. you good enough to be my king? I mean, my gosh, these are my kids. And I just am reminded of him saying, but I love him more. Are you kidding me? I love him more. I shed my blood for him. They're mine before they're yours. Do you trust me? Is Jesus good enough to be our king to fight the battles we want, to protect the things that we love, to kill the things that we hate? Or do we bow to him as king, as a warrior who calls us to fight his battles? Okay, the question, is he good enough to be king to go before us to be our identity? The second question, is he good and strong enough to be king to fight our battles? The third question is this, is Jesus benign enough to be our king, to judge us, to tell us what to do? You know what I want with Jesus? Not to mess with the things we love, right? I mean, Jesus, come into my heart. Lord Jesus, come in and make me feel warm and good, but just don't mess with the things we love. You know what I love about Jesus? Not only can he identify with us because he became one of us. Ready for this? You know what I really love about this, Jesus? This judge became our judgment. <laughs> this judge became our judgment that, that, that we are broken people before holy God and, and God's wrath because he's holy and just. And listen, he, God's, God's right by being angry with our sin. Why? Because he's holy. And all of God's wrath for our brokenness and our sin, are you ready for this? It was poured out on Jesus. All the hell that we deserve, Jesus drank and took. And I love the fact that Jesus became my judgment. I love it. It's great stuff. I mean, it's amazing stuff that he absorbed all of God's anger for every bit of my filth. Love that. Isn't that great stuff? Isn't that good news? I mean, it's good news, isn't it? But do I want him to be my judge? Do I really want him to tell me how to live? Derek Webb, a Christian singer, says this in a lyric, one of his songs, we don't want a judge, we want a jury of our peers. I mean, really, is Jesus benign enough to keep out of our boardrooms and out of our bedrooms? Is Jesus benign enough to keep out of our fields and out of our finances? I mean, I really think at the end of the day, I want a Jesus who serves me. Uh, and, and I know that Jesus is the ultimate servant. But you know, as much as I try to get Jesus to bow to me, he just never will. Is Jesus benign enough to be our king. 
Does he really have the right to tell us how to live? Do we believe it? So the question before us, is Jesus good enough to be our king, to go before us, to judge us, and to fight for us? And I think that really what this comes down to is our pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. Can it really be found in him? My brothers and sisters, it can only be found in him. My brothers and sisters, it can only be found in him. Life is only found in crowning him as Lord and Savior. Liberty is only found with Jesus as your king. Happiness, eternal long happiness with the Father only happens when Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. The freedom we long for, the life that we long for, the happiness we long for is found in bowing to him as king. Is he king of your life? Is he Lord of lords of all of your life? Is he good enough to be your king? Where is he on the throne room of your life? I mean, it's an interesting image that God gives us. He says that we who have a relationship with Jesus, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where is he in your life? Where, where is he on the throne? I mean, where, where have you surrendered to him? I mean, is it part of your finances, your heart? Where, where, where is he Lord of lords and king of kings? But maybe the real question I'm getting to is, where do you have bolted down, shut up, uh, locked down parts of your life to say, Jesus, just don't mess with these, all right? Just don't go over here. These are the no Jesus zones, okay? I'm doing fine over here because I know you have them because guess what? I got them. And I got him too. And the reality is, is we struggle. We struggle to say, Jesus, come and be king of my life. Every area of my life. But listen, we've been bamboozled. We've been lied to. Someone tells us that we are going to find life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness somewhere apart from him. And it's just not true. My brothers and sisters, may we surrender to Jesus as king. Do you know we have the tendency to be those people playing in the filth, making mud pies, thinking that that's freedom, and thinking that a king coming into our lives is only going to make things worse. And Jesus came in, and he came in, and he entered into our filth to set us free. My brothers and sisters, if you're serving yourself, as king, or you're serving anything else other than Jesus, it will always lead to the bondage of hell. Jesus is king, will set you free. Do you hear that? Jesus is king, has set you free. He's come, he's come for all your sins. He's come to make you right. He's come to make you right before the Father. He loves you. He loves you. And you want life? You want life? It's in Him. You want liberty? It's nowhere else. It's nowhere else. It's not in religion. It's not in other stuff we do. It's in Jesus. Liberty. Liberty comes. Liberty comes from finding the Father's love in Christ Jesus. Liberty comes when your life is validated in Christ Jesus. Liberty comes when your identity is in Christ Jesus. That's liberty. It's liberty that you long for. It's liberty that I long for. God made you for that. Happiness. I mean, happiness is not going to fade away. And I'm, not, I'm not talking that we're always giddy. I mean, we're in a broken world and we're going to have our sorrow. And we're going to have, I'm talking about joy, knowing that no matter what crap comes our way, we're loved. And no matter how much brokenness, that God's never going to let go. 
I mean, I mean, I mean happiness to know that, that, that broken, messed up people like us, that we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and we're, we're part of the royal family, that, that for some reason our King loves us so much that not only does He want to come and cleanse us, but He wants to clothe us. And not only does He want us to clothe us, He wants us to reign and rule with Him. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And how often do I go back to the mud and the filth and say, no, I can do, I can do it on my own. This meal that we're about to partake in is a reminder of the cost it took Jesus, that he was willing, willing for the joy set before him, willing to pay for your freedom and for my freedom, for your life, for your liberty, for your happiness. This meal's a reminder, it's a tangible reminder of what Jesus was willing to pay to be your king. A view of history will show you that no king, no king in history was ever willing to share his cup with peasants like us. No king was willing to share his cup. I mean, that led to slavery, that led to death. But Jesus says, this cup I want to share with you. I want to remind you of my blood that was shed for you to cleanse you. Come share his cup. I want you to prepare your hearts As the elders come here in a minute uh, to prepare the table, prepare your hearts. Ask this question. Is Jesus my king? Is he good enough to be your king? Ask this question. Examine your heart. What areas of your life are bolted down that you're still saying, I'm on the throne over here. Jesus, don't mess with this. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. My brothers, my sisters, life, Liberty and happiness is only found in him. And when we surrender, we bow, and we give him what he's already given to us, his life, our lives back. We find the freedom and the joy we long for. Let us pray. And Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come with such power that God, you would give us courage. You'd give us courage right now as we sit here and and to wrestle with Jesus, his king. I mean, for some, it'll be a wrestle with maybe the first time. And do I want this Jesus, his king? And God, I, I pray that if there's anyone here who is yet to bow their knee to, to who you are as king of kings and lord of lords, who have, who have yet to feel your tender touch to remove their sins and robe them in righteousness, that God, today, you would give them grace and mercy to come and embrace you, Jesus, as King. And God, I pray you give us, the rest of us, enough courage to just look to those areas of our life that we've shut and closed and we've we've said to you, keep the hell out. And God, I just pray you give us enough courage to ask you to come and open those and shine your light in those. And don't let us be bamboozled to think that we can find life and liberty and happiness anywhere else. What a king you are, Jesus. That you came and you sat in our filth so that we can be robed in your righteousness. What a king you are. You've taken us from being peasants to co-heirs with Christ. God, 
come and be our king. For your glory we pray. Amen. As the elders come forward, please prepare your hearts.